Hey, folks. <laughs> uh, the, the royal problem. day, perhaps. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, hey, guys. It's Jeff and Matt, the show bros. What we do here is we're digging through Netflix, Hulu, HBO. Now, we're digging through all the streaming services, trying to bring you some shows that we've seen, let you know whether or not they should end up on your list or not end up on your list. Jeff, and I know last episode we teased we were going to talk some more about K-drama. How did well, that go? <laughs> not great. I mean, we definitely we watched what we were going to talk about. Uh, we both put in the time mm. and the work, and then we just couldn't bring ourselves to record about it. Um, and we have some thoughts on K-drama, and I'm going to let you take it from there, Matt. But in general, I think we're going to just kind of put K-drama to bed for a while. I don't think we're ready. I don't mm-hmm. think we have a lot to say about it that we feel really adds to the conversation. Is that fair? Yep. Yep, totally fair. We need a Sherpa in the occasion that we're going to climb that mountain someday. Uh, quick, though, I'll keep it under a minute. The show I mentioned last episode called Black is the best of what we watched. It has a super captivating female protagonist. Its pretense is awesome. Uh, it's funny. It's funny in a way that I found really accessible. Uh, that being said, every episode is an hour and a half. That's a lot. And there's 18 of them just to get through what's on Netflix right now. Uh, I really don't have time for that right now, so it's not going to end up on my list. But, you know, maybe as we get into these colder months and I just need something to binge on a a, rainy day outside here in the Northwest, I think I'd go back to it. But the biggest things that keep me away from K-drama, in case you're interested in checking it out, are... The duration is really a huge one for me right now. Um, we already talked about it to death last episode, but not really having some of those cultural cultural touch points was something that's going to keep me away from it. And just in general, the pacing feels real, real, real different than what I'm used to, Jeff. So I can finally say I sympathize with you hey. on British editing because I, I have now a proxy <laughs> in the way they edit and shoot yeah. K-dramas that I was like, there is so much really good stuff happening here. I cannot handle it for more than 30 minutes at a time. So check out Black if you really like dramas, if you don't mind some pacing stuff. I think it'd be a killer show to have on in the background if you happen to speak Korean. But because I don't, I really can't have it as my show there. So instead of talking about K-dramas, Jeff, what are we going to talk about this week? What are we, what are Somehow, we checking out this week? I got lucky enough that you brought this up as a topic and I didn't have to beg you to do it. We're going to do Sharp Objects, which oh, is so, so spooky. Scary. It's the best. If you... I'm going <laughs> to poop my pants even thinking about it. That's the intro. Um, <laughs> if... You pay attention to media if you pay attention to streaming services. Sharp Objects is very new. It's very hot and, and one of the... It's as bad as buzzy yeah, as you yeah, can Yeah, in general, get, I, I think, think this is probably like the show of the moment. So I'm glad we're doing it. I feel like there's a lot to talk about with it. But also, this is probably my favorite season of TV I've seen so far this year. Oh, no, Westworld. <laughs> we already did Westworld. That's fine. It's not listening anymore. It got its yeah. time. Um, yeah. <laughs> this... And, and truthfully, I think we have to be really clear and specific. This is a miniseries. There won't be a season two. It's eight episodes, and that's it. Yep. Where you can find this show, uh, if you happen to have access to streaming, it's mm-hmm. through HBO. So if you have either HBO Now or HBO Go, you can find it there. Uh, of course, there's a million ways to find it. And the entire duration of the miniseries is eight hours. So definitely something you could yep. binge um, on, a, on a long weekend. Um but Jeff, go back into your sort your introduction. Of the uh, show. It's a really, really well put together cast. It's got really great production. It's based on a Gillian Flynn novel. Gillian Flynn is also a fairly buzzy uh, 
kind of media celebrity currently because of her book Gone Girl, which was turned into a David Fincher film two, three years ago, 2015, I think. Oh, um, oh yeah. She's got a lot of great stuff, and and you know, really, if you're if you look at media and if you watch media, what you can watch for is when the first book gets optioned and has a successful run in either TV or film. Immediately, if they have some sort of body of work, a lot of it gets optioned off, and so you can really see that happen. You can also watch it happen right now with Stephen King. It was very very successful, and all of a sudden we have three or four different Stephen King projects in the works. Uh, most of them at Hulu, of course, but. Uh, you know, you can really watch authors kind of propagate through media as soon as they have a really, really successful project. And Gillian Flynn is a good example of that, where a lot of her work is very similar in tone uh, and genre work. And so it all translates across. So when Gone Girl was very successful as as a studio motion picture, it immediately was optioned as as a uh, short kind of miniseries for HBO. Yeah, I think just as telling as it is, you know, you mentioned when an author gets hot, you see mm-hmm. all their stuff kind of emerge. I think it's even more telling that for Gillian Flynn's work, everything that's come out so far has yeah. been really good. So you, you can kind of watch these waves and the sort of tide come in with certain authors or screenwriters or filmmakers where it's like, wow, they're going to be the next big thing, but then it'll dissipate. I think for Gillian Flynn's body of work, the trajectory is just so consistent. Um, she's also got, in 2019, a show coming up yes. where she's the showrunner um, called Utopia, but we're not going to talk mm-hmm. about Utopia. Um, yeah, Sharp Objects, I would say it's it has a few close contemporaries yeah. in my head. One of them is True Detective, another HBO show, at least season one. I have not seen We're going to just talk about Detective. season one to be safe. Yeah, just season one to be safe. But both shows center around some pretty grisly themes. Um, they're both detective shows that have to do primarily with murders. Uh, I think what made True Detective work for me really well in that show is there is sort of an undercurrent of a supernatural theme or a little bit of hokiness. Sharp Objects is as sober as a dry bone. I mean, it is it is totally intense. Uh, I normally can't do shows like that. Jeff, you can. So talk to me what you liked about this show and what kind of person you think the show would work for. I've been pretty clear. I really love this show, and I do tend to find myself gravitating towards shows of, of this kind of tonal nature. I love True Detective as well. But in general, for me, when we talk contemporaries, True Detective comes up, but I also think a lot of Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. Specifically sure. in a couple of very key areas. If... If you watched Breaking Bad and one of the things you loved about it was its attention to detail and driving these stories forward and its attention to detail and being able to call back on very, very specific details that you didn't notice the first time that have huge revelatory impact, uh, this shows for you. There are really key sequences, and I, I don't think we're ready to really get into spoiler territory yet, but there are key, there are key sequences in Breaking Bad and Sharp Objects that have very similar trajectories uh, Breaking Bad, for instance, season two with the plane crash, where the opening shot of the season is the eyeball floating in the pool, and the final, or one of the final shots of the season is that same eyeball, and you watch the trajectory of time kind of loop back around to inform what that means. Uh, Sharp Objects does a lot of very similar things with its cinematography and its storytelling and the detail. Um, another kind of key one that I think about is Dark, which is uh, a very recent contemporary on Netflix. 
Have you seen Dark at all? I haven't seen it yet, but it's on our list of things to talk about, no less. So maybe we hit that next. I think maybe it would be a good one. Tonally, it's very similar, and they do a very similar thing in how they uh, color grade the the main film to give it this kind of darker wash where colors are muted. We're not going to get too deep into into the filmmaking aspect, but when you get these very dark shows, it allows that tone to kind of continue through because even when things are shot in daylight, they still have this creepy vibe to them. Um, and if you visually have enjoyed that, this would also be a show for you. Uh, now that you're done with your nerdy, creepy stuff, I want to tell you why this is not my kind of show. <laughs> and if you're listening and if you any of this resonates with you, you should just totally steer clear. Um, Breaking Bad, I finished. That show, for reference, is right around the 45, 50 hour mark. And throughout all of Breaking Bad, there's this pervasive sense of dread. And they they really they want you to believe that no matter what happens, the protagonist and all the people around the protagonist are going to end up in a bad situation. Like, there's no way out. And they tease you throughout the show of like, oh, maybe it's going to get out of the bad situation. But ultimately, that promise is fulfilled, that a lot of people in the show end up with lives that are irreconcilable. The thing is, I could handle Breaking Bad with like a buddy helping me out through it um, or like people to motivate and talk me through it because it was 54 hours. And in that 54 hours, there's silliness and there's laughter and there is genuine joy and compassion. There's also time to take a deep breath and go, whoa, that was intense. Let's do two or three episodes to reset. Sharp Objects takes maybe more dread than is holistically in Breaking Bad and puts it in eight hours. And the thing is, I would have never made it through this show um, had my partner not been watching it with me, like literally holding my hands sometimes because I was like, oh, God. And for me, being really story focused and narrative focused, I just couldn't see a way out of any situation for this, you know, any of it getting better. And the thing is, this show just, man, viewing habits wise, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't imagine watching it like with an episode a week apart. So it's, what's nice now is it's all available at once. So if you just want to like see what happens and end it, you can do that now. But Jeff, you watched this in real time, right? So you like had to wait the week and like sit with the dread and the pit of your stomach problems. Maybe that's also the amount of candy I eat is my pit of the stomach problems. But that's that's possible. That's a candy issue. But talk to me about the, about talk to me about what this was like watching it in real Here's time. Here's the thing. I wonder if it's easier that way. Huh. Like that you get a little bit of breathing room between episodes? Yeah, I mean, did you crush this in a day or a weekend? Like, how did you sit the eight episodes in? It was spread out over about a week and a half. Okay. But I was, I knew that we were going to finish it. Right. And I was begging Kirsten, like, we just got to get through. I, I need to be done. <laughs> I need to be done with this. <laughs> I think that's what's interesting is I didn't have that choice. And we've talked a little bit about, like, binging and what that does to television from like a narrative perspective and an economics perspective of story but i think what's interesting about sharp objects is i like to binge shows a lot Mm -hmm. it's how i'd prefer to watch most of them and i didn't have that option with this one because this is one of the few shows where i wasn't willing to wait till the end to like watch it all the way through and part of that a little bit has to do with jillian flynn if you've read jillian flynn's work and i had read this book uh Oh, that would help. It would, that would certainly it would help, certainly help yeah. but also part of, part of what Gillian Flint does is she, she's very, very good at the twist. Not the Shyamalan twist, but like a real twist. Mm-hmm. And 
and so I knew that I wanted to be up to date and and kept kind of tabs on it because when a show is this buzzy if you're not keeping tabs on it but you're following it close enough online you're gonna kind of have whatever they do for that twist kind of ruined for you so this is one of the few shows where I've really tried to keep tabs and I watched it in real time and it was difficult because at the end of each episode they do a really good job of kind of leaving you hanging but also I had an entire week to kind of mentally reset right and like yeah the the like feeling of absolute despair and like I got very anxious during a lot of these episodes. We're not going to talk too much about the pacing, but the pacing is absolutely brilliant. David Berman did an incredible job. You know, one of the things that I was allowed to do in seven days was watch something else, a lot of other things that kind of reset my clock. Like I could watch The Good Place for an hour and feel better. I didn't have that like, oh, there's eight episodes and I can get this done tonight. I've got to get through it because like, I don't feel great and I want to know how this ends like you had. I didn't like I had to put that away. And I think it allowed me to do two things. It allowed me to really enjoy each episode as this very intense hour that you didn't get with this. And I don't did you watch you watch Breaking Bad this way too? It, For most it was of it. like a binge. Yeah. yeah. It, it was way after it was done. Same thing. It was all available to binge. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. I think what's interesting about these shows and the way that they are made is they I mean, you can watch them and you can binge them, and I will continue to binge Breaking Bad probably once a year, and I will watch this often. But when you watch it that very first time, if you're forced to take that week break, I think you end up not feeling as completely overwhelmed by the creepy and the dread and the despair that they are so good at creating in this show. Well, here's what's wild to me. And if you're if you're sort of stuck watching the show like I was, and I want to make it clear... I'm very glad I watched it because of the artistry, but I wasn't happy doing it. (laughs) I was was like woefully underprepared for the emotional turmoil this show brings up. Uh, Really steer clear of it uh, if you have triggers with with violence, um, really toxic familial relationships. The thing is, like, it's so well done that part of it that helped me steer clear of, you know, shutting my eyes literally was just how well the show was shot. Um, here's a couple things I want you to keep an eye on if you're watching it. Um, this show does an outstanding job of making the city it takes place in, which is Wind Gap, Missouri. Uh, it makes it this anachronistic space, which is super or like out of time place, which makes it super unsettling. And the way they do this best is you see these two, the show opens and this is all within the first five minutes. So I can actually almost promise you, you'll know within five minutes or not, whether or not you're in. We see these two young women roller skating down this, you know, pretty idyllic, looks like an almost 70s or 80s or 90s, you know, semi-Southern town. But then they come into this bedroom where there's a Barack Obama poster. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, am I in the 70s or the 80s? Or am I just in a Southern town that's like frozen in time? And then all of a sudden we're in the 2000s, but our protagonist is driving a car from the 80s, but the car from the 80s has a stereo from the thousands. And there's this, (laughs) the show is constantly making you doubt your own credibility as a viewer in a way that I, I haven't really experienced before, where I was like, I can't ground myself to anything. And on top of that, there's a handheld camera and the handheld camera makes you feel like you're a voyeur in all of this too, or even if you don't feel like a voyeur, the camera's always kind of shaking and the camera's always sort of moving and breathing along with the space, which is super unsettling. Like something we talk about in film school is 
you know, moving cameras make people feel unwell. It almost makes people feel queasy sometimes. And partner that with the really affecting material they're putting on screen. And this show was just like a masterclass in how to manufacture disruption in your audience, how to make them feel disoriented. And put on top of that, that our protagonist is also an unreliable narrator. And most of the time the show is through her eyes. And it's like, ugh, it's just a lot. But Amy Adams does an incredible job. Uh, the young actress who plays the protagonist at a younger age, Sophia Lillis is the actress's name, does an incredible job. Eliza Scanlon. And Patricia Clarkson yeah. do an incredible job as, as... Patricia Clarkson is a gem and underappreciated. <laughs> I think if you don't know her name and you care about this stuff, you should know her name because you'll be like, oh, I liked her in that. Yeah, in that, you'll recognize in her in everything. My in favorite that. time anachronism that you didn't mention is she's very frequently seen in like nightgowns that kind of mm-hmm. date it to like the 50s, 60s, 70s. And frequently it's in this very, very beautiful modern kitchen. And I think they're doing this really interesting thing. So if if one of the things you're into when you watch television, especially currently, is how they subvert gender roles. Uh, if yeah, you are a big sure. fan of Handmaid's Tale, that's a contemporary we haven't mentioned, but is a very similar thing where they are doing a lot with gender roles to make you feel very uncomfortable. Uh, that one a little more pointedly and politically than this one. Yeah, sure. uh, This would definitely be a show you'd get into because they're doing a lot around matriarchy in this show that ultimately is kind of the driving force for everything that happens and everything that comes about. But Patricia Clarkson, as the matriarch of this family, really holds her own in in every way and ends up having to play like several different kind of character roles depending on the dynamic on screen. She's she's phenomenal. Absolutely great in this show. Yeah, she's got to bust out like every part of her range to make this. I mean, a lot of it is propped up on. You also mentioned Eliza Scanlon, who plays uh, the younger sister of our protagonist. Um, it, all, I mean, really, the three women who helm this show as performers are incredible. Uh, Marty Noxon, the showrunner, I think deserves every bit of credit that they get. Um, Marty Noxon, you might know her from her work on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and also the Lifetime show Unreal which also was also a really tough watch. Is this the first time I Unreal's been mentioned in. on this show? It, I believe it is. I promise you, listener, we're going to do an Unreal episode, whether oh, Matt likes no, it or not. I'm g- oh, no, I'm going to pee my pants. I don't want to pee these pants. They're new. Ugh. I don't know if any of that's going to come through in the edit, what I said. It but will. I talked about I urinating myself. It was a real real big thing. Um, so now here's my next question for you, Jeff, as we yeah. sort of tidy into our back ten. Mm. I feel like with a show like this, every few years there's that jackpot miniseries that everyone talks about. Yeah. But but then once it's done, it's sort of over. Yeah. If you didn't experience it in the trenches while it was happening, it's sort of like you should never experience it. Do you feel like if people don't get around to this one for a while, that they should still watch it? Or do you feel like it's going to be one of those where if you don't really experience it in the moment, it's not going to be worthwhile? Sure. Would you say that the last one was True Detective Season 1? um yeah i'd say that's actually that's a really fair comparison yeah i think i think it's a really good comparison because i remember watching true detective season one when it was happening and the big thing was who's the yellow king which is kind of the central mystery figure of season one and i think having seen it again recently i think it stands up without that i think Mm -hmm. what's great about these 
you know, these kind of moments in time or these, like, it series, Mad Men would be another really good one where, like, the last season of Mad Men was this thing where you had to be watching it. If they're done well, they should hold up to time and they should hold up against that buzz. So what I would say is if you're not going to watch this right now, maybe give it two years. Find it again. Mm. Don't watch it in, like, six months because then the problem is you're going to have everybody who's, like, over it and done with it. And I think that a lot of times that's what spoils these things because they're all well-made. True Detective Season 1 is incredible. Mad Men's final season is incredible. I think this show's incredible. But I think there does have to be, when these things become these large cultural moments, you either have to be in on the moment, or I think you have to completely eschew the moment. What I think would get you in trouble is trying to ride the coattails of it, not because the show's any worse, but because you want to talk about this, and everybody will be tired of talking about it. And I don't know if that's fair to you or the show. Sure. I think this one will stand up like you're mentioning simply because of the strength of the performances yeah. if nothing else. Um, the director Jean-Marc Vallée is putting together quite a quite a sheet of work too. Yeah. So he's a name to watch. Um, Yves Belanger, kind of the forward cinematographer is doing some really cool things. So Yeah, definitely a name to keep watch out for too. I think this is not a show you want to watch alone no matter when you watch it though, at least for a kind of person like me because a lot of a show like this that's about intrigue and about mystery aside from what it's doing filmmaking wise is best enjoyed with someone to talk about like, what's your theories? What do you think is going to happen? And of course, if someone's read the book, I believe they're just about one for one Jeff. Pretty so much, it's not yeah. like it's going to be, it's not like it's going to be any huge reveals you didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even if you just need someone to hold your hand during really tense moments, which is something I need every now and then, I think this is a great show to do that with. Yeah. Um, I think I'd watch it, I would watch it binged again because of who I am, mm-hmm. but if you like having some time to get away from it, like Jeff, then maybe on a weekly basis is solid, but needless to say, this ended up on both of our lists. We both got through it, you know, as it was happening or really close to it. So I think, you know, if you're listening to this in 2018, late 2018, now is definitely the time to do it, or like Jeff's mentioning, cool your heels for a little bit and we'll get back to it, so... Jeff, what else do you want to tell our audience about sharp objects to either push them towards it or push them away from it? I think for me, the very last thing is if you, if you've seen anything in the last five years that built any sort of suspense or horror into it and you thought it was good and you enjoyed it, this is a show for you. I really think that this kind of crosses both of those genres off the list, not because there's a lot of jump scares, there really isn't. But its ability to edit in the moment to make you understand things that you didn't know you understood in the way that a a really good tight suspense or a really good horror film will do, this this one's a masterclass. Also, if you appreciate any aspect of filmmaking whatsoever, this is probably a show you're going to want to see and talk about with a lot of people. Yes, Mm -hmm. A lot of it's really well delivered across the board. Uh, so definitely make time for it if you're a film nerd like Jeff and I. There's another show I I don't know if we're going to talk about on Show Bros, but for me is doing something really similar right now, and that's Maniac on Netflix, uh, directed by Kerry mm-hmm. Joji Fukunaga. Let me fact check his name real quick. Um, yeah, Kerry Fukunaga, uh, who did True Detective season one, if I'm not mistaken. But it's a Maniac is another show that's entire goal is to knock you off center and put you in this uncomfortable place. But not in so much like a spooky way, a little bit more uh, surreal, perhaps. 
uh, I hear my f- film school professor rolling in his not yet grave as I say that. But uh, Maniac is really, really good. Uh, you should check it out if you like feeling disoriented but don't want to pee your pants like I may or may not have done while watching Sharp Objects. <laughs> no one's got the evidence except for me. And everybody listening to this? <laughs> oh, no. Um, Kerry Fukunaga is also really well known for his treatments in It. And also, just a quick shout out, he'll be doing the next Bond film. So he's definitely oh, cool. somebody worth keeping an eye on. One of, oh, God, is that is that Bond movie going to make me want to be my... Is James Bond about to terrify me? I hope so. I don't want that. I do. I don't want It's that. time. I don't want It's it. time, buddy. Jeff, what are we talking about next Showbros episode? That's a good question, Matt. I think next, next Showbros episode, we're going to dive into The 3%, which is a Netflix okay. show... Uh, I believe from Mexico or Bra- uh, Brazil. Sweet. Either way, it's from Central or South America. We're going to be watching the subtitled version. If you want to watch along, we're probably just going to watch episode one and, and discuss from there. Really great dystopian sci-fi. Really cool to look at genres from other cultures that are not American and see how they treat it a little bit differently because of their socio-historic ideas. I really liked it. I think Matt's going to like it, and uh, I think he will too. And then we'll get back to Matt's tidy, cozy, nice corner of fun, fun, lighthearted romps. Yep. I promise. All right, gang, that's all we got for the week. I don't know how to close this out is the thing. I would I, like I to suppose thank I sh- Drake Stafford <laughs> for his theme song that we use on our show it's called saturdays it's really great you're gonna hear it in like 10 seconds matt you have 10 seconds <laughs> the song is called cassettes you nerd oh is it on the Come album on, saturdays <laughs> oh maybe i don't know i wasn't listening too close mm, that sounds right but drake stafford does deserve a listen uh you can find us on twitter at showbros podcast you can email us showbros podcast at gmail.com we are always looking for recommendations or feedback um, and if you want to keep on hearing this good good showbros content drop us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts that help us get more years. I'm gonna poop my pants even thinking about it. <laughs>